The Lord shared something with me to, to pass along, and I don't know to whom or whomever this would apply. But I think we're all aware that in families, there can sometimes be what is referred to as drama. And many times that drama seems to rear its head during this time of year. The reason it does that is because those who become involved in the drama, whether they are the initiators or the participators, there's a lack of maturity in the Lord. That's really what it comes down to. Don't let yourself get pulled into this stuff. Just don't. Now, this is the Lord sharing to you, alright? And if perchance this year, drama once again showed up, the Lord is encouraging you to let it go. Let it go. And you will be the better for it. Not just the better person, but you will be better for it. Just let it go and keep in mind these things only happen because people are not mature in the Lord. That includes the lost. Because if they're not born again, they definitely can't be mature in the Lord. So just, you know, as much as maybe at times you just want to slap the silly out of someone. (laughs) Yeah, can I get a witness? You know, suck it up, buttercup. Really. Let it go. And there is no need to even comment about it to others. In doing so, you reinforce that behavior in those people. Let it go and rejoice in the Lord. Always. And again, I say rejoice. Please turn to Acts chapter 1. We are getting ready to enter into a new year. And we're continuing to believe for revival. We have to do our part. And here, uh, we've been talking about fasting. And that's not what the message is about today, but... Fasting is something that we have been doing here in the month of January, the last, I don't know, few years. But this coming year, and I've already shared about this um, earlier, this coming year is going to be a fasting year. What that means is throughout the entire year, be focused on some kind of fasting. This week I'm going to fast, uh, I'm just going to do water or I'm going to fast meat this week. Next week, I'm going to fast uh, bread. The week after that, I, I don't know. I, I, it's totally relevant to each person, but a fasting week and a fasting month, a fasting year, all year long, a fasting year. Because, see, we if we don't do our part, then God can't do His. And we've I've taught on fasting. We've studied it in Scripture. Fasting is important. So it's not like uh, the 
what is it they say, you know, the sword of Damocles is coming down upon us. No, it's just, this is something that we should do. And I understand, people are different, their bodies are different, their physiologies are different and so forth. But still, you can fast something. You know, for some people, it may be coffee is a great thing for you to fast. And uh, as soon as Barry gets that hairball out, we can... (laughs) But some people, they literally drink pots of coffee every day. Now, I don't know how people do that and stay out of the bathroom. Seriously, I don't know how they do it. But nevertheless, uh, just... This is something that we have known is coming. How you do it is between you and God. But I will be bringing this up throughout the year. Along with that, I have encouraged you to give three hours a day to praying in the Spirit. Driving time, watching TV time, walking time, whatever, however you do it, because... Nobody can come and tell me they cannot get three hours of praying in tongues in every day. I'm sorry, you can't come and tell me that. Because I know for a fact you can. You know, with the way our lives are, uh, yeah, they're complicated, but we need to uncomplicate them as much as possible. And the whole three hours of praying in tongues is not about, okay, you have to close the door to the prayer closet, you go in there, you seal yourself off for three hours every... No. Now, if you can, praise God for that. Maybe you can only do that for 15 minutes. Maybe half an hour. I don't know. But the goal has been three hours of praying in tongues every day. Now, you know if you've been doing that or whether you haven't. And I'm not trying to be a meanie, but there's no excuse. This can be done. It absolutely can be done. And then also we've been having the um, the Bible reading assignments. They've been posted back there on the bulletin board just outside the sanctuary. Each week, well, each month, we have you know a, a book of the Bible each month, and each week you're supposed to be reading that entire book. Well, I don't know if you're doing that. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. But I do know this. It can be done. Uh, this particular month, the book has been Romans. It, it only takes... You can sit down and read the book of Romans in about an hour and 15 minutes, just from start to finish. That's about all it takes. So to say, now you can do it faster than that, but it shouldn't take a whole lot more than an hour and 15 minutes to read the whole book of Romans. So think about this. If you're able to um, block off an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half, shut everything to TV, just shut it all down, and just you and God and you read the book of Romans, and you're praying softly in the Spirit, you could read it every day. Literally read it every day. So, see, these reading assignments, this is not an impossibility. This is something that can be done. And then to accentuate, or not accentuate, but to accompany this, you know, you can listen to the Bible audio while you're driving. You can listen to the book you're supposed to be reading, while you're driving, and praying in the Spirit at the same time. I mean, think it's, this is not complicated. But what happens is, we begin to think it's complicated, far more than what it really is, but it's not. 
It's just sitting back and reevaluating what we do. And again, this goes back to us doing our part for revival. There have been a lot of moves of God in the past that have been referred to as revivals, and I won't dispute that. However, what revivals that I have read about, heard about, there's always been something missing. And one of the somethings that has been missing in many of them, from what I've uh, heard and read, is the aspect of discipleship. There have been demonstrations of power, the preaching of the gospel, a lot of people coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but then the discipleship after that. That's been a uh, that's been something that's been missing in a lot of these revivals. Well, what I'm headed toward is the fact that for us, I mean for the body of Christ, we want to have what you might call a complete revival. Meaning we have demonstrations of power. We have uh, the word being delivered. And then we have discipleship for the people who come to know Jesus Christ. And not just for the lost who get saved. You need discipleship for a lot of people born again. Even born again in spirit filled. But they've been living for years in wrong doctrine. Well, you need to have discipleship for that. So what we're doing is we're, we're trying to get prepared for that. So that all of us can be a part of this. Now, in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they were therefore, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now let's stop right there for a moment. Jesus has been teaching, preaching, ministering, all kinds of incredible things, signs, wonders, miracles, for about three and a half years. And a lot of these apostles have been with him almost that entire three and a half year time. Now here he is, he's raised from the dead, he's been meeting with them for about 40 days, and he's getting ready to ascend back to the Father and they ask him, will, verse 6, will thou again at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? In spite of everything that he had talked about at this particular moment, I, and I honestly don't know how many people were gathered together 
at this moment. It wasn't just the eleven. I don't know how many others were there. So I don't know exactly who asked this question, but they are still thinking about a landmass called Israel. And he, once again, is trying to redirect their thinking by saying, okay, verse 8, you're going to receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. So he's trying to get them to think beyond the land mass that is called Israel. He's trying to get them to think beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea, beyond Samaria. And Samaria is key in this because if there was one area where they probably would have completely ignored it was Samaria, in spite of the fact that Jesus had ministered to Samaritans during his time here on earth. And then he says to the uttermost part of the earth, he's trying to get them to think, I'll say it like this, globally, and get them to do the same thing. I'm trying to get you to think globally. I'm trying to impress you in this. I want you to think this way. Now, the same thing is true for us. What he's describing here, you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses unto me. Okay, what does that mean? You shall receive power. Well, we know what the expectation was there as far as the power is concerned. A demonstration of power. Signs, wonders, miracles, however you want to describe it. But then a witness unto me. What does a witness do? A witness testifies. So we see speaking Coupled with power. You follow me? We see speaking coupled with power. Now, that's the way it's supposed to be for us. What we are going to see today is a pattern in Scripture relative to what it's going to take. Like, specifically, two things that are critical for revival. When we talk about revival and we talk about an end-time revival and the masses of the people coming in, so on and so forth, what I've observed is that a lot of uh, Christians, well-meaning, we talk about there's going to be this incredible harvest of souls around the world. We talk about this nation will be in, in revival. We talk about our state will be in revival. We talk about our city will be... We talk about revival, and, and it's not wrong to do that. However, we have to keep in mind that the revival absolutely must start individually within the individual believer. Because if we do not have revival within us as individuals, then what we're, what we're doing is bypassing the very first part. Call it a foundation. We're bypassing that and wanting to see the region, the nation, and the world brought to Jesus. Well, okay, I understand wanting all the, those people brought to Jesus, but if we don't have the individual revival, guess what? We're not going to be ready for the revival. And we'll start doing things the way that we think they should be done. 
And that has happened so much, revival after revival after revival, for hundreds of years. So it needs to change. It has to start with us. I remember years ago, uh, I don't recall the exact words, but I was thinking about this the other day. There was a song that we used to sing. I'm going back to my youth. I don't even know where it was in the hymnal. But something about, Lord, send a revival, Lord, send a revival, Lord, send a revival, and let it begin in me. Let it begin in me. Alright, that's the way it's supposed to be now. And see, that's why we're focusing so much on the fasting. You know, the, the book of the month, uh, the, uh, the, the prayer and so forth, because we're wanting to get ourselves ready. We're wanting to prepare ourselves for what's coming, so that God can use us the way that He desires. Now, He gave Jesus here in Acts, He gave them this instruction. And we know what happened uh, day of Pentecost, and, and we'll get to chapter 2 here in just a moment. But, there is a, a pattern that we're going to see throughout the book of Acts. We're, we're going to see it first demonstrated with Jesus. Now, I'll leave your marker here in Acts chapter 1, and turn back to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Now, what's happened in Luke 24? Jesus has been crucified and He has been raised from the dead. And we're going to pick this up in Luke 24, verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And as they, the two, talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? So what happens is, at this point, they begin saying, What? Are, are you new to this area? Don't you know what's happened? Like, there is this man named Jesus. And he, he taught us all about the kingdom of God. He did great things and great mighty miracles and, and demonstrations of power. It, it was just amazing. And we truly thought, truly thought, that he was the one that we were looking for. But they killed him. Our religious leaders rose up against him and demanded that he be crucified, and, and he was crucified. But the thing about it is, that was three days ago, and now here it is on the third day, and some of our, our group that were with him when he ministered, they said he's raised from the dead. Well, if you pick this up, in verse 25, Jesus says, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now look here. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. 
and, and they say, oh, no, no, hang around with us and, uh, you know, let's have a meal together and so forth. But he says in verse 25, you know, you guys are slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And in verse 27, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, folks, a lot of time passes between verse 27 and verse 28. He starts with Moses and the prophets. So I don't know if... And obviously, he had to hop, skip, and jump through Moses and the prophets. But this would have taken, I'm guessing, at least an hour or two. I don't know. But it took a while for him to go through all of this. And... Then they say, okay, well, let's have a meal together. And so he sits down like he's going to have a meal with him, and then he vanishes. And they said, oh, my goodness, did, weren't our hearts moved as we heard him? We should have recognized him. Well, it says, verse 33, they rose up the same hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together and them <coughs> that were with them. They found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them. You see that? The eleven plus them. We don't know how many thems there were. And then these two show up. I'm emphasizing it was more than the eleven. Alright? And the two go into where the eleven and them were gathered. And they said, verse 34, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared unto Simon. And they told us what things were done in the way and how he was known of them. In breaking of bread. So they're telling all the, the eleven and the them, you're not going to believe this, but we're just walking along. Then here comes Jesus. And he just tells us all these things in the scriptures and so on and so forth. Well, verse 36, and as they, they who, the two, as the two, thus spake Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. Who's the them? the eleven, and everybody who was with the eleven. And saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. About the only two that probably weren't scared were the two who had already just been speaking with him a little bit ago. It's like, we know this guy. <laughs> and he saith unto them, Why are you troubled and why do thoughts arise in your heart? In your hearts, behold, my hands, my feet, that it is I myself, handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Now stop right there. The two had just been telling the eleven and the them, he told us about Moses, he told us about the prophets, he was telling us, telling us, telling us. The them with the eleven are listening to this and kind of like, well, I, well, I guess, I don't, I mean, now what are you saying? Then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and he begins reinforcing what the two were telling the eleven and the others. He says, these are the words which I spake unto you. Okay, what are the words? What words? 
I can see him pointing to the two and saying, these are the words. What these guys have been telling you, these are the words I was telling you the whole time I was down here. Are you following me in this? These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. In other words, in verse 45, he starts expanding, expounding, explaining again the Scriptures. In other words, he goes back again, Moses, through the prophets, through the Psalms, He's reinforcing what the two on the road to Emmaus have been telling these guys. He's going over some of this again and explaining it to them. And now these guys are understanding. But what are we seeing in this? Well, we're actually seeing a demonstration of power. I mean, the two are in there talking, then all of a sudden, there's Jesus. (laughs) He just is there in the midst. You know, how did he get in? Well, he's Jesus. He can do these things. He just is there. And then he starts giving the word to them. Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. He starts going through that. So we see the power and we see the scriptures. Alright, now. This is the pattern that has been established when it comes to revival. Now take a look in Acts chapter 2. We know what happened in Acts chapter 1. Jesus said, you'll receive power and then you're to be witnesses Throughout the world. Ultimately throughout the world. Well, on the day of Pentecost, we know that they're gathered together and one place, one accord, rushing, a sound of a, uh, from heaven, a rushing mighty wind, cloven tongues like as of fire, filled with the Holy Ghost, begin to speak with other tongues. About 120 people in that upper room. Okay, was that not a demonstration of power? Absolutely. And a massive number of people showed up because there the the 120 are speaking in tongues and in verse 7 these all these people that were gathered together verse 6 says it's a, it's a multitude say well aren't these galileans well, how is it that we hear them every one of us we hear them in our own tongue wherein we were born and then in verse 9 verse 10 and verse 11 it gives region after region after region after region So all these people are from these different regions, born in these different regions. And they're all hearing, well, it says right here in verse 11, they're hearing the 120 speak the wonderful works of God in their languages. These folks, 120 are speaking in tongues, but all these people from these different regions, they're hearing it in their own language. And one person says, I didn't know these guys could speak Arabian. Another person says, well... They're not. They're speaking Crete. And then another person says, Oh, no, no, no. You people are crazy. They're speaking Libyan. Oh, no, no, no. They're speaking Roman. No, no. Now, I'm just, I know that there are specific languages, but I'm, I'm just, you know, presenting this. And they're all saying, Well, what do you hear them say? Well, they're talking about the wondrous works of God. Well, what do you hear? Well, I heard them just say, You know, God is great. He created everything and blah, blah. That's what I just heard. You, you follow this? Demonstration of power. Alright, then, same chapter. Pick it up, you know, verse, uh, uh, Peter 
he stands up and he starts ministering and he says in verse 16, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and all my servants and all my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then you jump down to verse 25. For David speaketh concerning him, meaning, you know, God and and Jesus coming from God. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me uh, joy, full of joy with thy countenance. And then if you jump over to verse 34, uh, uh, it says, And for David is not ascended unto the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Then if you jump over to verse 41, it says, Then, well, in fact, look at verse 40. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized the same day. There were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, here's the point I'm making. There was this demonstration of power. And right after the demonstration of power, Peter stood up and began to preach. But he didn't just stand there and tell him, tell the people what he thought. He took them to the Scriptures. He took them to the Word. And he repeated the Word to them, quoted the Scriptures to them. And by quoting the Scriptures... The people hearing this, they weren't hearing Peter's opinion. They were hearing what God had said through Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and so forth. So what we see then is this demonstration of power followed by the Word. Not just the opinion. Not just a sermon. But the Word. And if you notice here, it says in verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Okay, What was the Apostles' Doctrine? The New Testament hadn't been written yet. What was the Apostles' Doctrine? Moses, the Law, the Prophets, and what Jesus explained to them before He ascended, they turned around and explained, okay, here's what Moses said, quote, 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 and here's what it meant. And here's what David said. And here's what Isaiah said. And here's, you you see what I'm saying? This was the Apostles' Doctrine. Giving them the Scriptures, giving them the Scriptures, giving them the Scriptures, and then helping them to understand the relevance of what was written to how they were living at that time. Here is what it means. Okay, now, look over in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, you know the story, they uh, went up to the temple, the hour of prayer, there's a lame man, verse 2, lame from his mother's womb, And he lay daily at the gate of the temple that's called Beautiful. He was seeking for financial assistance, you know, alms. 
He saw Peter and John about to go into the temple and he asked for alms. And Peter looks at him and John was right there looking at him too. And, and Peter said, look, look at us. And the guy looks up at them thinking he's going to get some money. And Peter said, verse 6, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Well, people begin to gather around. They're seeing this and they know, wow, you know, that guy's been there his whole life. And now all of a sudden, look what he's doing. You know, how did this happen? And Peter says, hey, you know, we didn't do this by our own power. We want to tell you what's going on. And if you jump over to verse 22. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all kindreds of the earth be blessed. So once again, we're seeing the power, and then we're seeing the word. Well, Peter and John get arrested over this, and they get thrown into jail. And if you jump to uh, chapter 4, and take a look in verse 11, it says, uh, Peter's testifying, and he says, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. So once again, we're seeing the word is being used when these guys are being questioned about why do you do it and, and who told you to do it and you know who gave you the authority, etc. and so forth. He, he's taking them back to the word. If you take a look over in, in Acts chapter 5, in verse 12, it says, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Now we're seeing this, it's like this ongoing demonstration of power. In chapter 6, verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Well, he got arrested for doing this. And in chapter 7, Stephen is, is on trial. Here's his testimony. Verse 1, then said the high priest, Are these things so? And he, Stephen, said, Men and brethren and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. Now, from this point on, if you keep reading this, he's quoting scripture. I mean, this, this whole seventh chapter. Stephen is putting them in remembrance of what is written in the Word. He's not standing there giving an opinion. He's not standing there thinking, well, I think you guys ought to reconsider this. No, what he's saying is, hey, let me remind you what is in God's Word. Let me speak to you what is... And he just... And he doesn't have a Bible handy. This is what you need to keep in mind. It's not like these guys went around carrying like 50 pounds worth of scrolls everywhere they went. He didn't have a Bible with him. He was declaring what he knew. He was declaring the Word of God. And I sat there and listened. And, well, we know what happened. He ended up getting, well, killed. Now we jump over to chapter 8. And in chapter 8, verse 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. 
And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Okay, what was Philip preaching to them? Well, once again, the New Testament hadn't been written. He was delivering to them the apostles' doctrine. What was the apostles' doctrine? It is written by Moses. It was written by David. It was written by Joshua. It was written by, it was written by, and here's what it means. And here what it, here's what it was prophesying. You follow what I'm getting at here? He's giving the word in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now, this is a demonstration of power. It's just not an outward demonstration of power from one person to another, but it is a personal experience of the power of God. In other words, how many of us wish we could hear God as clearly as Philip heard that day? So obviously, this is a demonstration of something that is not what we would call the norm. So Philip, he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He's returning and sitting in his chariot, and he's reading, verse 28 tells us, that he is reading in Isaiah. Well, the Spirit says to Philip, Go nearer, join yourself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, he opened, it, not, he opened not his mouth, and his humilia humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh this prophet? You know, of himself or of another man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. See that? So, this, this guy, this Ethiopian... At some point in time in this, now you need to understand, there's a lot missing in this story. Here's the Ethiopian, he's in his chariot, and this guy comes running up. And he says, what are you reading there? He says, well, I'm reading such and such and so forth. Well, do you understand it? How can I possibly understand this unless somebody tells me what it is? And we, we see here the part of Scripture where this Ethiopian was reading, and Philip says, well, let me tell you something. And he starts at that point, explains to the guy what he's reading, and then goes forward with it. And in the process of going forward with it, he includes a teaching about water baptism. Because you keep reading, and the Ethiopian says, well, here's water. What's to keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe, the Ethiopian said, hey, Jesus Christ is Lord. And Philip said, all right, you know, dunked him into water. The point I'm getting at is this. At some point, that Ethiopian had to wonder, how did this guy know to come up to my chariot? See this? Demonstration of power, and then the Word. And then the Word. Look in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, in verse 13, Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, 
And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they d- departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up, and beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with a high arm, he brought them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, (coughs) he divided their land to them by lot. And after after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of four hundred and fifty years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they desired a king. God gave unto them. Do you see what's happening here? First off, Paul went in and just sat out. And the leaders said, you have anything to say? And Paul says, well, now that you ask. And so he stands up and what does he do? He begins giving to them the word. Not his thoughts. He begins giving to them the word. And this continues on. If you look in verse 32... And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, and that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Jump down to verse 40. Beware therefore lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold ye despisers and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. So what we see then, once again, is the word. The word is being delivered. And turn over to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 and in verse uh, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the, what? The Scriptures. Out of the Scriptures. He reasoned with them opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. He reasoned with them. What does that mean? It means they said, okay, well, what about this? And he would use the Scriptures and say, but here's what the Scriptures say relative to what you're asking. Okay, well, what about what, about what you know the, the prophet Habakkuk said? And he would have said, okay, well, what that means is relative to what you know, Joshua said, and what Moses wrote, and what David said. Do you see what I'm saying? He reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. And then here in chapter 17, look verse, down at verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the Scriptures once a month, <laughs> daily. Daily. daily searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so now here's Paul he stands up he's preaching he's delivering the scriptures and they're saying okay 
huh, this is interesting. They go home. And every day, they're searching the Scriptures to confirm what He's saying. Now, you can't... Now, now think about this. They are searching the Scriptures. In other words, that Apostle Paul, he stood up there. Well, they probably didn't even call him Apostle Paul. They may have just said, you know that fellow Paul, he was saying that Isaiah said such and such. Well, let's see if that's what Isaiah said. They searched the Scriptures and they found out, oh yeah, Isaiah did say that. Well, you know what? He was telling us that, that Jeremiah said such and such. You know, turn you, you got Jeremiah's scroll. I turn over there and see if you can find that. And they, they searched the Scriptures to see if what Paul said, what Paul referenced, what Paul quoted from the Scriptures was true. Look over in chapter 18. In chapter 18, verse 24, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Now what things of the Lord would he have been teaching? Well, it says he was, verse 24, mighty in the Scriptures. So he would have been teaching with the Scriptures and explaining from his perspective the things of the Lord, the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom, when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. In other words, they went into more detail. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, when had, uh, which had believed through grace, for he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. He wasn't just saying, well, now he was. Well, how do you know? Well, because he, he said he was. No, he was showing from the Scriptures, proving this. In Acts 22, turn over there. Acts 22, verse 1. Men and brethren and fathers, hear ye my defense. Now, Paul, he's, um, he's on trial again. And he says, Hear my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue unto them, they kept the more silence, and he saith, I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. Okay, what's he doing? He's not just standing up and saying, Hey, do you not know who I am? Do you, Have you not heard of my reputation among the Jews? Do you not know that I am a Pharisee of Pharisees? Do you not understand that I'm smarter than you? And I probably have more money than you? No. What he's doing it he is he's taking them back to the word and letting them know I share a common foundation with you which is the word. Now you've got to keep in mind that when you read things like this, we're getting the summary of these events. We're not getting the word for word every single minute that passes description of everything that happened. When he spoke to them in the Hebrew tongue and told them about his common foundation with them pertaining to the law, they stopped rioting and began listening to him because they knew he could say things to them from the law, which he would have said things to them from the law 
if you keep reading, you kind of have to read between the lines to understand this. But again, what we're seeing is the emphasis is on the law. Look over in Acts uh, chapter 26. In Acts 26, Paul, again, is on trial, this time before Agrippa, King Agrippa. Verse 1, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. Well, jump to verse 21. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both the small and great, saying none of the things and those which the prophets and Moses say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. See this? What's happening? He's going back to the Word. Even though he's on trial... And there could be people there listening who don't know the Word. He's still going to the Word and delivering the Word to them. One more place, Acts 28. Paul has now arrived in Rome. Verse 17. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet... Was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, would have let me go, because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had aught to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest for as concerning this sect, Christianity, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expanded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. How many of us could do that? From morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our father, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing, ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing, ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Okay, now what are we seeing? What is this pattern in Scripture? Two things. Power, the Word. Power in the Word, that's it. Power in the Word. Power in the Word. Paul could not have done what he did. Stephen, Peter, Matthew, I mean the whole bunch. They couldn't have done what they did if they did not know the Word. It would have been impossible. And, when it comes to this whole aspect of knowing the Word, in fact, look back over in Mark. Mark chapter 16. This is where we get what you might call imbalanced. What I'm talking about is this. We want the power, we want the power, we want the power. Oh, Brother Martin, we want the signs and the wonders and the miracles. Why, if the people see the power demonstrated, they'll come to Jesus. I'm not saying they won't. 
But what I'm saying, in addition to that, is this. <laughs> when they come to Jesus, do we have any word to give them? Do you see what I'm getting at? Now look at this. We want to see the power demonstrated. We want to see it. We want to see it. Alright, well Mark chapter 16, verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with and confirming the word with signs following. Seeing that? Okay, I, I propose to you this. Is it possible we're not seeing any more demonstrations of power because we're severely lacking individually in the Word? See, these guys in Acts, when questions came up, man, they could just deliver it. They could speak it. Now, granted, they didn't have chapter and verse like what we have today. I understand that. But they could... And when you read through the book of Acts, what they were doing, they... They sometimes weren't quoting it word for word, but they were, quote, quoting it. You understand that? So it'd be like us, that it'd be like, you know, in the Bible it says, you know, and by his stripes ye were healed. All right? But then we would be saying, yeah, but you need to understand something that you were healed by Jesus' stripes. So I'm not quoting it word for word as it's written in the King James, but I'm quoting the word. You see what I'm getting at? Alright, how many of us can do these things? Personally, you know, as I'm going through this, and the Lord is showing all this to me, you know, I'm kind of looking to crawl under my own desk. Because I don't feel adequate. When I compare myself to what I see here in Scripture, I think, eh, I'm not that good. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm like these guys were. Because they were able to give the Word. And God works with and confirms His Word with signs following. He works with and confirms His Word. I know that it says here in verse 20, they went forth, preached everywhere, the Lord working with italics them, and confirming the Word with signs following. Remove that them. Look, God, He's not in the business of affirming individuals and promoting them to make them look good just so they look good. He's going to, oh, you'd make yourself look really good. He works with His Word. So therefore, what does that mean for us? Well, it means we need more Word. Very simple. We need more Word. In uh, Mark chapter, well, you're in Mark, turn to 4, chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus says, the sower soweth the Word. The sower soweth the word. Now, we jump down to verse 20, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, sixty, and some a hundred. So what happens is, in a lot of faith teaching, it's presented, the sower soweth the word, as though I speak the word to sow it for my finances, or for my house, or for my car. You understand what I'm saying? But hey, the word needs to be sown in us. God works with and confirms His Word with signs following. So, I need to sow the Word in me regardless of how much money is in my bank account, regardless of what kind of car I drive, regardless of, of what kind of house I live in. I need to sow the Word in me because, verse 20, I need to see the fruit. The 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold fruit. Well, what is that fruit? It's everything the Word can produce. The Lord working with and confirming the Word with signs following. 
I need the 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold signs following the Word that is delivered. I need the Word in me. I want power, but I've got to have the Word. It's like God would be saying to us, did I not tell you that you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you? It's like, well, yes, God, you did say that. Have you received the Holy Ghost? Well, yes, God, I have. Guess what? You receive power. But are you sowing the Word? I work with the Word. You know, if you've only got a little bit of Word in you, I'm not talking about it in the head, where everybody knows how to say, Oh, I know, I know what I'm supposed to do. I just know what I'm supposed to do. I just know. No, I'm not sure you really do. Because Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth forth out of the mouth of God. And that includes so or so with the Word. Look over in... um, Okay, I'll just kind of reference these. He says here in Mark chapter 4, So or so is the word, and those who do it the way they're supposed to, guess what? The fruit's going to be there. The fruit is going to be there. See, this is not an option. This is not a, well, it might, it might not. No, Jesus says, it will be there. The fruit will be there. This is not a, it might. This is not a, well, you know, if God wakes up in a good mood, you know, I mean, maybe He'll help you out there. No, Jesus says, so or so is the Word, and the people that are diligent to this, the fruit will be there. Part of that fruit, it's not just the power, you know, the signs, wonders, and miracles, part of that fruit is a changed lifestyle. A lifestyle that lines up with the Word. Christians that are compromising, I... You can have a whole bunch of Word memorized in your head, but until it's in the heart and producing a Word lifestyle, it ain't there. That's just the way it is. And so he says, so or so with the Word, you do it the way you're supposed to, and guess what? The fruit's going to be there. Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word. The Word of God. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Then you go to 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable. Profitable for what? Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. Why? Why do I need all that? So that you, the believer, the man of God, will be Perfect, meaning fully mature and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What are the good works? It's everything God says do. Jesus said, you believe in me, the works I do, you shall do also. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Word, it goes back to the Word. Back to the Word. See, these guys back then... You know what they did not have? They did not have newspapers. They didn't have other books. I mean, the printing press hadn't been invented yet. So they didn't have a bunch of books. Um, They didn't have TV. They didn't have a, a computer. They didn't have a cell phone. Which means they also didn't have social media. <laughs> they didn't have any of this. Nothing. They didn't have any of that. They didn't, they didn't have college football. They didn't have baseball. They didn't have basketball. They couldn't sit around and argue about <laughs> who's the greatest basketball player ever. 
Well, let's rank the top ten rushers in football history. I said rushers, not Russians. <laughs> the top ten rushers <laughs> in football. They couldn't have those debates. What'd they do? Well, bless God, Brother Martin, I don't know, it was probably pretty boring back then. No books, no newspapers, no TV, no computer, no cell phone. Man, I, I don't know, what did they do? You think maybe they searched the Scriptures? You think maybe they studied to show themselves approved unto God? You think maybe they sowed the Word? You think maybe they prayed? You think maybe they got together and exhorted one another while it is day? While they are walking in the light? You think maybe they did all of that? Yeah, I can pretty well guarantee you that's what they did. They didn't have anything else to do. Nothing else to do. Now, let's think about this. What if we chose to live like that? Just temporarily. I know last year, year before, whatever, we've had you know the, a week of, of technology fast. Where you know, we, we were supposed to turn off no TV, no computer, no cell phone, how be it. Those things can be a part of your job. I understand it. And I also understand that's the way many people communicate now. is by way of like email or messaging and so forth. I understand that. But other than that, all of the Facebook this and the Facebook that. You know, have you, how many of you have seen these things on Facebook where somebody posts this? If you can find the number nine in less than 30 seconds, you are a genius. Now, I'm not going to get critical, but good, glory to God. I find those things all the time. <laughs> in less than, some of them in less than five seconds. I'm not making that up. It's like, oh, it's right there. <laughs> who, who takes 30 seconds to find this? And, you know, list your favorite that and do, you guys know totally what I'm saying. Okay, what if, what if we lived like the apostles? What if? No newspaper. No TV. Nothing. We just shut it all down. Well, bless God, Brother Martin, what would I do? How about the Word? See, here's what's interesting. When we have had those turn off the tech weeks, some of you... Have you have felt like you were getting a root canal without anesthesia? It was a battle. It was a severe battle. And what you learned, whether you realized it at that time, but what you learned is that you have an addiction to these things. Because there's a bunch of you in here, you grew up, you didn't have those things. But you have appropriated those things into your life, and now they control it to a certain degree. What if, we, what if we lived like the apostles? How much more word, prayer, and worship could we add to our lives? How much more of the Bible could be read in a week? You, remember earlier I was talking about Romans? You could read it in about an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half. Or you could actually do it in an hour, depending upon how fast you read. How much Bible could be read in a week? How much of this word could we sow in us? See, what happens is this, and I've noticed this trend over the years, and you probably have too. 
So many Christians, they want to, to mature in God like weightlifters using steroids. You know, they, they want to pump, those weightlifters, they want to pump their bodies full of these chemicals to make their muscles grow faster. And they don't realize they're overloading their body in a way that is not healthy at all. But what happens with Christians is, we, we get a hold of things like, remember several years ago, the prayer of Jabez? What is that, like two verses long in the Bible? But that became the mantra for the body of Christ for a period of time. The, the prayer of Jabez. So it's, I say the prayer of Jabez, now I can walk on water. Glory to God. That's cool. And then, then you had uh, things like um, your purpose-driven life. Boy, that was the thing. Read that book and you're ready to raise the dead. And then we had the, your best life now. I mean, on and on it goes. Now, I'm not trying to be critical of the people that wrote those. Or critical of those books. What I'm saying is, we turn to these things as though those are the, quote, spiritual steroids that will put us over the edge. And I'm telling you right now, this book right here, this is it. The other books can be a help. Walk of the Spirit, walk of power. That can help. Hey, listen. Guys, I'm telling you, I've learned a lot that what I have here in the Word, if I meditate in the Word, I need a lot fewer books in my life to tell me what's already in the Word. We want revival and uh, we, we've got to have, yeah, we want the power. But guys, it's got to start within us as individuals. And that pattern that we see first demonstrated by Jesus, He raises from the dead. And He delivers the Word, the Law and the Prophets, the Law and the Prophets, the Law and the Prophets. And then we see that pattern throughout the book of Acts. There's power, but then there was the Word. And really, they were more focused on the Word than the power. But the power was there. We can't... Well, let me, I'll, say, I'll rephrase this. I don't know if there's one of us in here who could carry on a word conversation with somebody the way the apostles could. Yes, but they were they were apostles. Stephen wasn't. Remember that? That guy served tables. Philip the evangelist, they call him Philip the evangelist. He was the guy that was waiting tables. So it's not, you know, we want to, we, we want to cast, you know, we, what we want to do is exempt ourselves from being able to do this by saying, but I'm not Paul. Well, I'm not a James. Well, I'm not a Matthew. <laughs> yeah, but guess what? We've got the same word they did. We, we have the same one they had. And the thing is, we've got it more convenient. Could you imagine? Can you imagine? I mean, granted, they couldn't read English, but could you imagine giving them a book this size that contained, in Hebrew, the entire Old Testament and the New? But we'll just give them the Old Testament because the New is being written. Can you imagine giving them this book, this size? And it contained everything from Genesis to Malachi in their language. They'd think you just, they, they would rather do that than walk on water. Who needs to turn the water into wine? Give me that. Seriously? 
You can carry the entire Old Testament with one hand? Have you seen these scrolls? <laughs> do you know what it's like for us? And here we have it. Not only do we have it, we can listen to it all day long. Can you imagine those guys? It's like, wait a second. You, you telling me, out of that little thing right there, that you can hear the Scriptures? No way. Then you hit play. And they're like, whoa, what? Wait a minute. Look at the size of this thing. It's got the whole Bible in there? You mean you can listen to this everywhere you go? Are you serious? Oh, man, if we'd have had this back in my day. <laughs> now, here we are. To whom much is given, much is required. Now, I hope nobody gets under a whole bunch of you know condemnation under this uh, because of this message, but I do think conviction is in order for me. I'm the, one, I'm the guy up here doing this. Conviction on me first. You too. Because, folks, we need the Word. So what I'm going to say, you know, we're, we're closing here. And when I say I'm closing, I'm closing. <laughs> we need, look, me, all of us, we want revival. That's right. We want power. Yeah, that's right. We've got to have the Word. I'm saying, let's take a hard look at our lives. How many times have we sat in the living room with the remote and wore our thumbs out trying to find something to watch. Come on. We end up watching stuff that's stupid, but there's nothing else on. Why not reevaluate this? Why not get more into the Word? We need it. We need it. I mean, this is not just some preacher talk. I think you realize we need this. We fall far behind what we see in Scripture. The pattern that we see. God is going to work with and confirm His Word. Absolutely. Absolutely. We want power. He wants us to, to be, He wants to use us in power, but He wants us to have that Word too. So I'm saying let's challenge ourselves in this. Seriously. And let's put the Word in like never before. And what will happen is, at first, yeah, it'll be a fight. I understand that. How much you turn off social media and TV, I mean, you know, that, that's something you have to deal with. But, the more we do it, the easier it becomes. The more we feast on the Word, the more we could get to the place of like feeling, there's something changing in me. There, there's something happening. And it's all God. We want revival, the Word and the power Two critical elements of revival. Please stand.